to Battle Red Radio. I'm Matt Weston this evening. I'm joined by the biggest, the fattest, the drunkest of them all, our good pal BFD. How are you doing tonight, man? Woo! Go Texans! Yay, team! <laughs> uh, the last time we watched the Texans play, they were kind of good, and they almost beat the New England Patriots. Davis Mills is a quarterback god. He threw for 300 yards and had three touchdowns. This week, he attempted 43 passes, completed 29 of them. He completed uh, the, those passes, went for 243 yards. He averaged 5.7 yards in attempt. He had zero touchdowns to two interceptions and was sacked twice. I think you had a really good point in the chat today. And it was just kind of similar to a tweet that Texans fan had that was, you know, everybody is telling me that Davis Mills is playing well, but the Texans have only scored three points so far. So, what did you think about Mills' performance today? I, I I thought it was exactly that. I mean, this is a team, okay, even if we go back, let's go back to the last three games. In the last 12 quarters, the Texans have scored precisely 25 points. I mean, it's not like, you know, the te- the announcers today kept trying to tell me that Davis Mills, man, he's coming through, he's coming back after that Buffalo game, and as good as he was in, against New England, that, you know, he's he's bouncing back, and he has this and this and this. But, look, 25 points over three games is eight points a game, guys. So I want to give you a comp. So, so over his first five and a half games, there was another guy, kind of a similar situation as, as Davis Mills. And over his first roughly five and a half games, he was 90 for 145 for 1,072 yards, 12 touchdowns, and four interceptions. And just to put that in perspective, that's a QB rating of 100.7. Davis Mills, in his first um, five and a half roughly games, has a QB rating of 73.2. Any guesses who the first guy is, Big Matt? Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson, who also happened to throw in another 179 yards on the ground, including a spectacular run against the Bengals. So, look, I know I know, it's not fair for me to compare our first-round quarterback that we traded two first-round picks for to a guy who we picked in the third round. It's not fair. Great. It's not fair. What is fair is that one guy is a third round level quarterback and he's a backup quality guy. And Davis Mill or and Deshaun Watson was, man, I, I think he was putting together a Hall of Fame career personally. I think that's gone, but whatever. But if you have a talented quarterback and you put him in a good situation, he's going to put up points. And Davis Mills is not putting up points. You can blame the scheme, you can blame the offensive line, you can blame the fact that our skill position average age is like 42.6 years old. But the fact is, is that Davis Deshaun Watson didn't have a whole lot better of a situation outside of DeAndre Hopkins, and he was putting up points, and Davis Mills isn't. Yeah, I that's kind of like a lot of it right now with the rookie quarterback, where like I do think Davis Mills is put in a really tough situation. I think Texans process failed Davis Mills to start the year. You know, it really like going into this season. I know that the Tyrod Taylor game happened. Like Taylor's much better quarterback than Mills, and. 
everything else, but that's kind of part of the problem with this offseason is that you have a 32-year-old quarterback who's been injury-prone for the last you know three years, and you have no real backup for him. And you put Mills there, I guess, as like a, a sign of confidence that you drafted him because you know he could be a, a future potential quarterback. And so he's out here before he's ready. But like that being said, like now whenever you watch the Texans, it's kind of like, well, what can he do well? You know, and the first 10 quarters he was out there, he did absolutely nothing well. Like you couldn't point to one thing that was like a skill as his as a quarterback. And then last week against the Patriots, he was had a lot more zip on the ball. He threw a lot more accuracy. He got off his first read uh, a little bit more. He was able to, um, Tim Kelly did a good job like running multiple route combinations, like the same section of the field. So he's able to see, you know, three receivers at once instead of his head craned to Brandon Cooks and nothing being open that direction. And also most importantly, like his best skill in Stanford was throwing the ball down the sideline with touch. And he did that last weekend, you know, when the biggest question I had though is like, are these throws replicable? And that's what we talked about, you know, last week in the chat. It's what I wrote about last week too. And this week they didn't really push the ball down the sideline at all until there was 45 minutes uh, passed into the game. It wasn't until the end of the third quarter when he tried to hit Brandon Cooks on that shot. He entered through him and hit the defensive backs back. And that was really like the only shot they took against the Colts defense that's been awful at stopping the vertical pass. Like their pass defense is so bad at stopping the vertical pass that even Lamar Jackson hit a sideline touchdown pass against them, <laughs> you know? Uh, and every, every team that they play against has had success in attacking him that way. And the Texans didn't do it really at all whatsoever. And so, like, do you think there's any skill you can point to for Davis Mills from being like, like what, like what can you point to as like being actual legitimate skill to it as as of his right now at this point of his career? Right, and we've talked about this in the past quite thoroughly that every quarterback who is successful at the NFL level has a special skill. There's something they're just they're particularly good at, whether that's Philip Rivers and his accuracy, even either with that ugly throwing motion, that Tom Brady with his mind, his ability to process plays, or or guys who rely on talent like Lamar Jackson and, and um, Josh Allen, uh, who, you know, they're just freak physical athletes or freak arms and freak legs and, and the ability to do that sort of thing on the field. What does Davis Mills have that makes Helm different? Well, he's pretty tough. I mean, he's taking some big yeah. hits and he bounces back, but that's not something you build on. Yeah, I think that's his best skill is that he's not a coward in the pocket or he'll like, he'll he'll hold on until the last second and make throws. And, you know, it's not the Mac Jones sort of thing where that's usually how interceptions happen. Is whenever you make throws at the very last second and get, like, absolutely obliterated. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, aside, I know, I think, like, and the other thing, too, about, like, a rookie quarterback is that they change, you know, kind of quickly in a way, you know? Like, they're, he was put in kind of a weird spot. After some game playing, he's been playing better. And I don't think he was good today. I think he was really good last week, but I think a lot of it is fluky. And like that touchdown pass to to Moore was an incredible throw. Like it was absolutely ridiculous that throw he made. And like McCordy didn't he was playing the pick and all that, but still putting in between both those defenders in the sideline was incredible. But it's like how often is he gonna do that? Can he do that again? And he hasn't shown that ability yet, even after one game. But I think I think it's that and like a week later, I think the accuracy was better. Um and but it's still like he's only throwing three routes though consistently. And it's curls come back and out routes all on the sideline. You know, like that's they're just getting one versus one matchups, and he's hitting those throws pretty well. But that's really it. Those are like the only throws he's making, you know. Yeah. And he, he is completing passes. We can give him that. We can give him all the credit in the world. He's completing passes, and most of them, but they're not going down the field. And that's a big deal. You cannot 
successfully live off of throwing five and a half, five point seven yards down the field. That's that's not that's not you know going to lead to success. The one thing I want to go back to is is the drive, the first drive against Buffalo um, last week was like whatever that eighteen play drive, and then they had another long drive today. Yeah, those aren't really sustainable. You can't expect to go like 75% on third down conversions consistently. And they got away with it for that drive in Buffalo. They got away with it. One of the early drives today, that's not repeatable either. You have to push the sticks. You have to push the ball down the field. And he, while he has been willing to throw the ball down the field, I don't think he's got really the arm strength or the touch to do it consistently and well. Yeah. That wheel route he threw that last interception was a good example, like not having touch, down the sideline, and you know, I don't think the arm is that good. It's been better, you know, playing in Houston and playing indoors like he did today against Indy. But I think overall, it's just kind of it's whatever, you know. It's not necessarily like a strength of his, you know. He's not gonna as as one coach described Justin Herbert. You put a strawberry through a battleship, you know. It's like right. he can get to the sideline, uh, but it's not there enough. The accuracy isn't very good. And, you know, I don't know. I That drive you mentioned against New England last week was kind of funny because they had a defense pass interference penalty on third on third down. They had a fourth down conversion, and it was like a lot of, like, running the ball to get into short, manageable third downs, where it was like third and four, third and two, or fourth and two. And, uh, and like, he had, like, that good play-action touchdown pass to Claire, but he really only made, like, one throw that entire drive. And they had a really good screen pass by using that cast for motion to David Johnson. And that scoring drive today, I think, was kind of similar to that too. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't. That's kind of like the question. It's like, can he throw the ball deep downfield? And like, I absolutely hated Tim Kelly's game plan today. I mean, it started the very first drive by calling that screen on third and five. You know, the Colts cornerbacks have been terrible at staying on top of their routes. Um, Xavier Rhodes has been bad at, at it. You know, I know there's some talk that Rocky Sin's been good. I don't think he's been good this year. And he just came back from injury. They're starting, you know, TJ Carey's like on the injured reserve too. They're playing Anthony Chesley. Um, it's just like, a, aside from Kenny Moore, like their cornerbacks are terrible and they have problems staying on top of their routes and they play a lot of cover four and cover two. And like you can, you run route combinations to man- manipulate one, the two high safeties like the Colts did to the Texans today to create like open throws downfield. And they didn't do that all whatsoever. And it was again, like established to run even more so than I think Bill O'Brien did in some of his worst years too, with without any sort of like, even like passable threat, like throwing the ball downfield too. And so I know like Mills have a good game today, but I also think Tim Kelly kind of failed the Texans offense too by the play calling he had after being, you know, probably like the brightest point uh, of his team in some ways with the game plans that he had previously in his play calling for the first five weeks of the season too. Yeah, it was a playing scared game plan to me. It was get the ball, which isn't necessarily bad with Davis Mills. You don't want to make any decisions, right? Um, if last week and be able to re- go to a second receiver after Brandon Cooks, if, you know, is that something he can do consistently? And I don't think today was maybe the game to do that. You want to get the ball out of his hands, get it to Brandon Cooks as much as possible. But still, today was that game plan was running scared. Yeah, I know they did against Carolina, but that was like the don't die against a high blitz one. Mm-hmm, and this mm-hmm. is a Colts defense that doesn't really blitz very often. They rush four, even though Chris Ballard never drafted an edge rusher in his career. And their best pass rushers on the interior, too. Um, yeah, I didn't really understand it, though, especially considering you know, the matchup they had, too. And uh, and like I think that's a good way to put it. They were conservative, and they played scared, and that was one, I think, the big reasons why they lost the score they had today, too. Yeah, you can't... There's no excuse for scoring three points against Indianapolis. There, There's not. 
no, that's unacceptable. <laughs> it's been a bad defense, and like the only team they played well was Miami, but Miami moved the ball pretty well in them that game. They just had problems in the red zone. They had like you know two bad turnovers that limits of the points they scored, but Miami had zero problems moving the ball in them. And they're like they're one like good defensive effort so far this year. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, it's just sometimes I'm just speechless with how bad that offense looks at times. Yeah, like Jacoby Brissett was looked better at home than Davis Mills did today. Yeah. Ugh. Uh, so our first question was from at Confused Lefty, and we had this organic conversation, you know, amongst ourselves in the masthead too. But he asked, "What's the ceiling for Davis Mills?" I'm still gonna go with look. I, I'm still gonna go with, and and Rivers is right. Like if it's, it's or you're right. It's it's Case Keenum is not really the best. So I'm gonna go with Brian Hoyer, because that's who he kind of reminds me of. He has struggles with he struggles with accuracy. He is so weird about missing the easy pass, which kind of blows me away sometimes. He doesn't have the arm strength you want. He doesn't have the ability to process the game you want. He just reminds me so. And he he's. Like a little bit slippery, but a not a lot of bit slippery. Just very much <laughs> reminds me of 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 um, Hoyer because it's like a guy. He he looks like he should be good. He's going to impress some people because he kind of looks good. But you put him under fire, and he's going to fail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Bills is hand sanitizer instead of hand soap instead of a bar soap <laughs> in the pocket. He's a little slippery, but not all the way slippery. Yeah, I think Hoyer's uh, a fine comp. I think the only thing that he could do differently than Hoyer is throw the ball down the sideline with some accuracy or with some touch, you know, because like, that's what he did at Stanford is probably the best thing he was at. But uh, I don't think he's as accurate as Hoyer, you know. But I think his arm is better than Hoyer. It's just hard with Mills because it's like, what, like there aren't a lot of quarterbacks who last in the league who have problems with accuracy, who don't have that great of an arm, who aren't like an incredible athlete, you know. They just aren't out there. And I kind of like my personal ceiling, I think, for Mills' is rookie year is Mac Jones. Like Mac Jones right now, I think that's like what Davis Mills could get to maybe one day. Yeah, I, that's I, I like that one too. It's it's like it's like I made the, the comparison earlier this year. Like the difference between the 60th best linebacker and the 100th best best linebacker, excuse me, in the league is small. It's not a large margin of of distance. And right now we're talking that that Davis Mills is like the 33rd best quarterback <laughs> in the NFL. And what's the difference between that and the 45th? And it's not a whole lot. It's just going to be a matter of opportunity. If he can get better from it, great. But I just don't – and I'm going to write a post about it this week. I'm so excited to do so. My biggest fear right now is that the this front office is going to look at Davis Mills, and for them, everything is seen through rose-colored glasses. The, the glass that's half full but is actually broken and on the ground, they're going to say that Davis Mills is our quarterback of the future. And we're going to be stuck in quarterback hell because yeah. we're not going to replace him. Well, and that's what Chris and I talked about last week, that average is the scariest thing because average means that you're stuck and roped into something that doesn't have like a potential to be better than that. But I think it's going to be hard for you know, Mills to even reach average this year. Again, I think last week was a fluke. I didn't like him in college very much at all. I didn't like the pick at all last year. Um, I think like maybe he can be a backup quarterback or whatever, but you know, really who cares all that much? But yeah, like if they talk themselves into Mills and they glitter up the turd and like we don't need a quarterback at all, you know. And even then, like they decide to have three top ten draft picks because the Watson trade or whatever, and they went like all in on defense or whatever. I wouldn't hate that necessarily, but then it's like you're just pushing this decision on for another year. You should make that decision based around like Davis Mills being something better in the future, though. Yeah, and and. Uh... 
you know, uh, Rivers brought up the point today that, okay, we spent our third round pick on a backup quarterback. Well, maybe that's not such a bad thing. My hot take on that would be that what if you go out and you draft Matt Corral next year, right? Is, is Davis Mills really a good backup for that sort you know, style of player? What about yeah. Malik Willis? You know, if you're going to make your game plan around a guy who is much more athletic with a stronger arm, then it's like, once again, we're going to go back to the days of when uh, Deshaun Watson had pick your crappy QB of choice. Which one do you want to go with? AJ, AJ McCarron. <laughs> it was, uh, it was tuna fish and peanut butter. You know, those two <laughs> on the same team at the same time. So, so it's what's your point? What's your point of having Davis Mills? We'd have been a lot better served by going and getting a guard, by going and getting a guy who could get to the quarterback. Oh yeah, rather than and spending also, on and, and also for like a rebuilding team, who cares who your backup quarterback right. is? You know, like it, it doesn't matter. Like you want to kind of go with like the veteran quarterback who can you know back up a younger guy and teach him, like an actual veteran who is into that sort of thing, not Joe Flacco. The guy who actually like will take on the mentor role and is not you know a complete dick about it. But yeah, I I like I think also too that is they have so many holes in the roster and such a dearth of young talent that whatever position you know would have been better than quarterback because you could possibly get a starter and even if it's like a starting guard or a linebacker or a safety or like a a third cornerback that's more important than having a backup quarterback potentially. And uh, and like yeah, like Davis Mills wasn't gonna be a first round pick if he stayed in Stanford for another year. And he's kind of showing a lot of stuff that he showed in Stanford, you know, albeit kind of squeezed in kind of a poor situation too. But that's like the only hope I have for maybe Mills being good at all, even though I don't think he's good or is going to be good. It's just because the situation's been as bad as it is. And that's, you know, entirely the fault of your Nick Casario's process and this entire team's process entering the season too. Yeah. And one more thing I want to make sure I, I, I say about Mills. The best thing, you're right. The best thing he did was throwing that floater down the sideline in college. But he was also throwing to his primary guy. It was, it was kind of like exactly how Brandon Cooks this year is throwing the ball to Simi Fihoko, like like at over 50% of the targets at Stanford last year went to Fihoko, mm. right? And it was kind of the same thing. And a lot of those passes that he threw would be picked off at the NFL level. So he got he had so many dropped interceptions in college. It was shocking, the number. But he was also throwing to a guy that nobody was within seven yards in college. So yeah. Yeah, there was some trade-offs sense. there. Yeah, I, I didn't because whenever you watch film, you kind of lose like those smaller aspects of it, like numerically, like oh, this is the only guy's targeting, and that sort of thing. Um, I, I'm also at the point too, like I would not draft a quarterback early in the draft if he doesn't have some sort of athletic talent. You know, it's like what are you gonna do? Are you gonna wait six years until he masters the game or whatever? But you can get so much out of a guy with legs to like bring him on close, like slowly in the NFL. Whereas like keeping him on the bench for a few years so he learns the offense well enough that he can actually run it. And so I've I would just not I don't have any interest in you know drafting somebody who's just like a slow like pocket quarterback, you know. Yeah, because who's what slow pocket quarterbacks are successful in the NFL today that's not Tom Brady. And Tom Brady's the massive outlier. Yeah, I mean there isn't one. Like even look at the young quarterbacks now, like Allen, Mahomes, Baker, Justin Herbert, like they all have some ability to run with their legs too. Mm-hmm. Those quarterbacks don't really exist at all anymore. Um, so our next question is from at Confused Lefty, and he brought it up. You know, Rivers McCown pulled a tweet or pulled the clip up if you want to take a look at it. But Brian Cooks was talking about you know the Texans were not executing today; they were ill-disciplined um, after the game. Didn't look very happy. He had a really cool hat though. I really liked his oh, yeah. outfit today. Beautiful. Rocking. He looked beautiful today. Um, but he talked about how undisciplined they are. 
and you hint at players to not want to be there at all, which, you know, happens whenever you're a 1-5 bad football team playing in a, a culture of toxic positivity. Uh, do you think that you take this as a shot at David Cole and the coaching staff? I didn't read that into it as much as he did. I got to admit, I watched the clip three times total. Um, and he and I did some DMs back and forth on it. I just don't see it that where it was really a shot at the coaching staff. I saw Cooks more taking a shot at the at the uh, players. Um, and today they only had 25 penalty yards. It's not like they shot themselves in the foot like they have been the rest of the season. Um, I think what you're seeing personally is is what I think you're seeing is that you're seeing the first outcomes that what really creates culture is winning. Create, you don't create culture in a vacuum by a team that puts up a bunch of motivational posters and cats hanging from trees. You get culture from winning, and the Texans aren't winning. So this is like maybe the first sniping that's going on, and I think it's just going to grow as this team continues to look like this. Yeah, as it slowly devolves into madness. And we, had, we saw the same sort of stuff last year when they were playing poorly, like J.J. Watt you know, kind of talking about you know, how pissed he was, the effort, and that sort of thing after the game. I think kind of the interesting thing about it is, you know, Brand Cook said before that he doesn't want to be traded at all, that he won't accept the trade, even though he doesn't have no trade clause. But I guess he'd say, like, well, I'm not going to play it off. You trade me, I'll just retire. I have enough money or whatever. But, you know, with Cook's playing the way he does. And you kind of think about, like, the trade deadline coming up in uh, in November. I don't, I don't really, see, I, I think the hard thing about the Texans is that they don't have good players at all. So it's like, well, who are you going to trade on this team? Unless some might give up like a seventh round pick for Mark Ingram, you know, maybe. But I think Cooks and Justin Reed are probably the only two trade tips, chips they have. And so maybe that opens the door where you could trade, you know, Cooks maybe for a third round pick. But then it's like if you do that, the Texans have no offense at all whatsoever. So it's kind of like a weird spot to be in, I guess, with Cooks being unhappy. And then, you know, what you could get for him if you did trade him. And then just like what the ramifications would be for even for like a one win team, uh, they would have nothing, you know, at the wide receiver position at all whatsoever. Yeah, and the other one to, that comes into play is, is Tunsil. But what are you going to get for Tunsil at this point? Well, and yeah, and they can't trade Tunsil too because how they restructured his contract. Oh, that's right. Season. I forgot about so that. So they can't trade him until next year too. And same thing as Zach Cunningham. Same thing with Whitney Merciless. You know, they made all those decisions to open up cap space this season, which limits their cap space for next year. And again, it's like another example of like Nick Casario didn't do a good job this past year. And there's a schism between building for the future and trying to win games this year. And I have no idea what they were trying to accomplish. And in the end, they really didn't accomplish anything at all whatsoever. Um, you know, mentioned Laramie Tunsil. The Texans, you know, pass protection wasn't the issue in this game. They allowed five quarterback hits and two sacks. The sacks, one was Kari Willis blitzing. The other was uh, DeForest Buckner getting the, getting the entirety of Tyus Howard with inside slant through the A-gap. And so without Tunsil, without Britt, and without Marcus Cannon, they still pull, pulled off pass protecting pretty well over 43 pass attempts. Uh, when is everybody finally going to admit that Tunsil is overrated and doesn't make that much of a difference? Never. <laughs> Never. I mean, there's only a couple of people I've seen out there in Twitter land that actually admit that, or even you know, on the blog. It's it's The other thing that they did today, Matt, that I thought was great is they were rolling Mills out. They were getting him out of the pocket. All these things that we were talking about for years under Bill O'Brien, look, if you don't have a great left tackle, move the quarterback around, create different passing lanes. There are things you can do to make up for that. Make sure the interior is tight. You can, you can, you know, you don't allow the blisses up the middle. Don't allow the penetration up the middle. And you can do some good things with, with having weak tackles, but O'Brien refused to do it. That was one thing Kelly did well today. I thought 
Yeah, they keep running that same like quick rollout for Mills, and they run it like and it's twelve same high, times. Low, tight end. <laughs> yeah, and it's like okay, it's a quick out route to the, you know, X Y receiver, and they run it over and over and over again. And the only team to really kind of screw him up on it was Buffalo, where they blitzed the overhang and there, and he had thrown it out of bounds. Uh, but they run that a ton. You know, the at least they're not the one thing that drove me crazy about Tunsil this year is all the chipping for him. It's like. That's the whole point of Laramie Tunsil mm-hmm. is that you have a left tackle, you don't need a chip for you, have more routes going out. And like that's kinda like why you trade from us the one only benefit of having him here. But yeah, I mean Tunsil's been awful in the run game this year. Like he looks disinterested in it. I think he's allergic to run blocking. Um and like pass protection, you know, he's given up at least one sack and a couple of pressures and him and Ty Sauer have had problems passing off stunts too. So it's not like he's been a lockdown, you know, top five pass protecting left tackle too. And it's just fun seeing Jaron Christian today having zero problems at all, you know, blocking the Colts. But, you know, like I mentioned earlier, Chris Ballard's never drafted a good edge rusher. Like Al-Quadi Muhammad, Kamiko Turi, Taekwon Lewis, those guys are good run stoppers, but they can't rush the passer at all. Quiddy Pay's done nothing at all this year. Uh, ben Benogu's done absolutely nothing in his career too. And like all their pass rush just really comes from Darius Leonard, Kenny Moore, and then DeForest Buckner just pretty much like doing everything he can to up lanes for others. Yeah, I think the only... Uh, and it- the only time they were even decent on the edge was when they signed Justin Houston. Yeah, and he had, I think, five sacks that year. Yeah. You know, he had one good year with them, and then the following year he wasn't. But, yeah, they can't draft that position at all. And I, I think Chris Ballard's overrated, and he's not that good. And I'm tired of hearing about how great he is all the time. Did you hear <laughs> he, he said, you know, y'all be patient. The wins are going to come after being there for, like, year five, you know? It's insane. It's, it's just like Bill O'Brien. It's just like having blame fa- uh, blind faith in mediocrity. I don't know. I don't get it. I think he was talking about Wentz. I guess this Wentz version of the Colts, but uh, I think they're going to have some problems next week. But, you know, playing the Texans helps things out a lot, you know. They beat the yeah, Texans that, and the Dolphins this year. Get ready for the wins to start coming up. Yeah, they, they, the Texans make teams feel good about themselves, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, and the Jaguars do too. The Jaguars made the Texans feel good about themselves. But <laughs> I'm, ex- I'm really excited to watch that rematch then. Hopefully we get Davis Mills too because the Jags have, like, lost some close games and have, looked, you know, somewhat competent at times and Lawrence has made some, you know, some insane throws too, but we'll see. I didn't get a chance to watch that London game this morning. I didn't either, but uh I Trevor Lawrence's stat line looked like t- pretty tight. Ninety three point four, he three hundred and nineteen yards and a touch. He's made like seven throws this year that were sublime, you know. But it's just like roughing out the edges and part of that I think is probably playing in a uh in you know, Urban Meyer and Darren Bevel offense, you know? Yeah. I, that was the thing about Trevor Lawrence going there is, is I just, I, you know, when you have such poor OC and head coach, I just don't have a whole lot of hope for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's hard also being old and stupid now where, you know, so many names and like Darren Bevel's been in the league, you know, been like ubiquitous in the league since like, Oh, eight. And it's like a deck of cards. You gotta like flip through to find like, okay, that's the guy. It's not Brian Schottenheimer, it's it's this. Um, so with long carries of 24 and 35 yards, Houston, without the long carries, so Phil Lindsay had a carry of, uh, I guess, 35 yards. Ingram had a long carry, 24 yards. Without those two carries, Houston's running backs had 72 carries, um, or had 72 total rushing yards this game, which comes up to 2.88 yards a carry against an elite run defense. So I kind of talked to, talked to Chris about this last week. I want to ask you, because we're in a new era of Texans coaches now. It's James Camp instead of Mike Devlin. And the hope this offseason, like every year, there's a new hope with the offensive line. 
okay, well now, you know, we did this and it should be better because of continuity. And now it should be better because we got Laramie Tensel and Titus Howard. And now it should be better because we have James Campton and Mike Devlin. Um, what do you think is the problem with this offensive line, their inability to run the ball? Is it coaching issues? Is it a talent issue? Is it this is just what happens when you have a lot of three tight end personnel and you're going up against eight-man boxes because you have a quarterback that doesn't scare anybody at all? What do you think is the issue with this run game? I think it's, for me, it's twofold. Number one, this is the first time this group, I mean, this is a radically different offensive line than last year. And you and I have been doing this, you and I have done this podcast for how many years now? We've talked about the importance of consist, uh, you know, personnel consistency on the offensive line. I think we're seeing a lot of the um, problems with the, you mentioned earlier, the ability for Tunsil and Howard to to switch off and pick, off, uh, pick up stunts and that sort of thing. Um, I think that's a big part of it. I didn't think Justin Britt was much of an upgrade. Marcus Cannon, I still don't get the whole Marcus Cannon thing, even a little bit. But if you're playing Davis Mills, why aren't you putting eight guys in the box and let them beat you? And yeah. so that's, I think that's a big part of it is, is if they want to take some of the pressure off the run game, then why don't we take out like one of the four tight ends and, and do something different? And we do it occasionally, but I mean, geez, I, I, if I'm a defensive coordinator, I'm seeing Davis Mills. I'm putting eight guys in the box every time. Go beat my guys one-on-one. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they love using three tight end sets. They love running outside zone with it. It doesn't work very well. The only, they did have success last week against New England because they went three tight end sets, and they had everybody blocked down, and they had all Claire run that seam route to throw a touchdown off of, but that's pretty much it. But yeah, I think it's that, and like I think also at the point, too, where the players probably are very good, you know? Right. Like, I like you know, we talked about Tunsil. Howard has been awful at left guard. And, like, I don't, I think it's going to, I think the entire offensive line could get COVID except for him. And they would they would sign four new players and still put, keep Tyus Howard left guard. So they just moved to right tackle. Admit that they were wrong about it. You know, Max Sharping's been awful this year. Um, I'm at the point, too, like, with him and Lion Johnson, like, I don't even, I hate watching him play. And then the Can thing, like, I think it was, Can's been fine. But the problem with the can thing is that you're signing him to put a, a young player who's had success at more premium position at a lesser position because, uh, I mean, I don't know, because you like him there instead of at guard. And like I think Heck has been fine as a right tackle. His college video is weird because he was awful at left tackle and he watched his junior year. And he was, a, he was a good right tackle, and I think he's been passable so far too. But yeah, I think we're just, you know, this is what happens when the talent probably isn't good. And so you, now you're kind of looking at, well, what do you have with, Sharping and Howard as they're getting closer to the end of their rookie contracts. What do you do with Tunsil um, and everything else? And like, I just, I just don't really see it with any of those players, you know? Yeah. And we were talking about it during the, the hair of the dog thread is look at that draft now with Sharping Howard and Lonnie Johnson jr. I mean, that's the best player that's coming out of the, those three is Howard. You've already kicked them from left tackle to right tackle to guard. I mean, what's he going to be playing next week? DH? You know, and he also played right. He went left tackle in college to right guard. He started off oh. right guard as rookie, and then right tackle for a year for two years, and now he's at left guard. So, yeah, I and that draft is interesting too because that was the last time the Texans have had draft capital because that was right. when they had the second round pick for the Dwayne Brown trade, and then you know two months after that they traded for Laramie Tunsil, and that killed their drafts the two years afterwards. And they've gotten nothing out of those guys. You know, they've gotten two bad offensive linemen, and like I think. Howard, like, there's potential there, and there's always been potential there, but he hasn't been a good run blocker once in his career, and he's having problems pass protecting left tackle, too, and Lion Johnson Jr. is bad at Kentucky, you know? 
Like, his Kentucky video is terrible. I had no idea why they drafted him aside from, like, he's a project in a body, and they've had him play slot corner, outside corner, and strong safety, free safety, and he's been bad at all those positions, too. Yeah, that, that I think last week was hilarious for me against Buffalo. Uh, I'm sorry, New England, when he uh, had a pick. Oh, crud. It was against Buffalo. I'm sorry. Against Buffalo, where you had that pick early, I think. Yeah, where I he remember. was just standing yeah. still. Yeah, and got and the ball went right to him. And then, like you know, the next drive, he gives up the easy touchdown to um, uh, Knox. I just thought that was great. I just thought that was perfect, Lonnie Johnson tape. You get lucky, and then you get burned. Yeah, Josh Allen. I, I describe a term as he mogged him that week because he uh. had that, and then also that rollout against the pressure when he had Omanehu, and I think it was Walker closing on him. He spun out both of them. It was rolling right, and then he puts it over puts it to Emmanuel Sanders over both Johnson Jr. and King uh, on the sideline. Today he had a bad game too. He gave up that touchdown pass along the corner of the end zone that covered two money shot from Carson Wentz that closes the game out twenty four three. And he just I don't think he has a lot I don't think he has any feel for the position at all. You know, like safety is like an intuitive position and like he's at his best whenever stuff is happening in front of him and he can drive down, close on it and he's been a better tackler, but he doesn't have any feel for the game at that safety position, you know. Yeah, and he's not somebody I trust at safety as a tackler anyway. I mean, he might be tackling better. I wouldn't. I don't trust him out there. Yeah, I wouldn't say he's like great at it. He's just better than he was his rookie year. <laughs> he was terrible, you know. <laughs> when he was missing guys by two yards, yeah. Yeah, when he looked like Zach Cunningham, but just like you know, forty pounds lighter. Um, so going back to the running game, my next question is from at Smooth Grandma, and he has to. He wanted to talk about David Johnson, and he said David Johnson looks absolutely disinterested in being anywhere near the football. Is he about to become a surprise and active because someone has been working hard? I've seen a couple of really smart people say something similar to that. I'm not seeing the disinterest. I'm seeing that we're just asking him to do things he's not going to be good at. So he's not going to be able to pick up blitz as well. He's never been able to do that. That's not a strength of his game. It's He had the fumble. I don't think it was because he was disinterested. I think it was a perfect punch. Um, you know, his best position right now is playing slot uh wide receiver probably mm-hmm. so it's we need to stop asking him to do things he's not going to be good at yeah david johnson's a, a wide receiver now like he's not he doesn't play running back anymore and so the texans turned deandre hopkins into brand cooks who's the entirety of the passing offense after everyone told us that summer that well if they get rid of hopkins now deshaun watson can spread the ball more often in a in an offense, and he can it will develop him as a quarterback because he's not going to rely on one player. And now David, I mean, not Brand Cooks is the entirety of that. And then David Johnson, who's now just a wide receiver after you know failing spectacularly as the number one running back last season too. And so I don't, I mean, I don't think he's ever going to be an inactive, you know, just because they don't do that. They like if they make a mistake, they don't say, "Hey, we screwed this one up." They just stick with it, you know, and they don't they don't let up. And we saw that too last year whenever they decide to restructure his contract and keep him in Houston instead of cut him outright as they you know, should have done. Yeah, the, the whole thing, the whole – anything David Johnson related that the Texans have done has been immensely stupid. <laughs> he had that one really good run against Kansas City that last year in week one. Do you remember that? that I was don't nice, care. Was, I know he had that. He always, at least he had that, you know. Yeah, at least he had, yeah. Yeah, it all it cost us was the, and did you see D-Hop's awesome touchdown today? Yeah, he's been yeah, really good after the catch this year. Oh my God, that was sick. That he's always just, been like sneaky good after the catch because he doesn't uh-huh. have like a lot of speed, but he's just hard to tackle and like he's real like, uh, he's real malleable, you know. And this year in Arizona, he's just been awesome after the catch. 
Yeah, I'm so glad we traded him. And, and also after he didn't practice all week also, too. <laughs> I, he didn't practice once this week. I was I kind of check out and see what's going on with them. And I've watched every Arizona game this year, and it was just kind of funny. So it was like, yeah, he doesn't need to practice. He's better than practice. Um, and our next question is from is that, are they forcing Kelly to call run plays for Johnson? Or did he or did Tim Kelly think he would suddenly start working with three backup offensive linemen? Two carries for five yards is the David Johnson rushing stat line. Every game this year, I think he said two carries for five yards. I, I just and he had one catch for fourteen on two targets. I, I just don't David Johnson's existence on this is on this roster is perplexing at best. <laughs> Yeah. So as far, as far as the run plays for him, I mean, who cares? And also, I, I don't feel bad for David Johnson at all. You know, I know no. he had a rough season, all that. It's like, he made $11 million. He talked how excited was to come to Houston. The whole, everybody, all they've done the last two years is talk about how, hey, they're going to surprise a lot of people. These are maybe sneaky good moves. And I think they've won five games in the last two years, you know. Yeah. They you don't, they would have been great roster in 2016. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> they're they're five and 17 their last uh 22 games so far since you know the deandre hopkins trade fantastic that's that's a that's a tweet i'll have to tweet out on monday mm-hmm. i'm so upset too that i'm gonna have to watch this game film also like i i committed to watching every game film this year and it's getting harder and harder yeah it, it's just so we use the word so often it's a stupid team it's a st- a stupid strategy talking about process and culture is stupid. When do we start talking about getting good football players? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, so I, speaking of culture, you know, I think David Coley was hired here to improve the culture. He's the worst game manager I've ever seen. And like, I thought it was gonna be bad this year, but somehow it's even worse than the horrendous I expected. Um, and he also, he doesn't call plays either. So it's not like he has some benefit of the doubt. It's like, well, you know, he's calling the offense and, you know, maybe something slipped. Uh, but this week he, they were throwing the ball at the end of the second half after trying to kill the clock out for whatever reason. And it ended up hurting him at all. But again, it's like Nick Cassero loves to talk about the process. And that's a good example of the process being bad, even if it didn't hurt him as far as the results go. And then also today they were down 17 to three. He punted on fourth and two at the 45 yard <laughs> line. And then the score, the Colts scored two plays later. Later, It took two plays from the score. And then it was 24, three, um, and again, like in cover two, the, the hole is between the safety and the cornerback and the corner has to squat, but then like play that throw with both their, with their body and their eyes and, you know, come back if there's no mind the flat and ride between, you know, Desmond King and Lyon Johnson, Jr. Carson Wentz, Plyer, both of them with the money shot with the, with the corner route. And now the game was over after that. So, um, this is kind of thing about David Coley though, this year is that we weren't expecting him to be good. We weren't expecting the Texans to be good, but we thought Coley would probably be here for a year or two to help, you know, lay down the foundation for a great culture that would carry this team in the future. And if the if the Texans go like one in sixteen or two and fifteen or whatever, is there a chance that they fire him and he only lasts one season in Houston? I don't think so. I because who are they gonna bring in? I don't think anybody's gonna want to come to this team. I, I think that they went with Coley for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, and I've been saying it through the entire time, he's a patsy. He's the fall guy. He's the guy who's going to take the heat off Casario and Easterby. Oh, we were sucky because, hey, David Culley punts on fourth and two. Um, I think that's part of it. I also think part of it was because, like, 
he was there to what was the best way to put it he was there to provide the oranges at halftime mm-hmm. like i think that's like you know take what you he does take you to the pizza place yeah he's there to to be the feel good big daddy because you know easter b and casario are really into that whole big daddy thing mm-hmm. and i think that was part of it but when you grab a guy who is a wide receivers coach who had absolutely no experience as a head coach at any level and you drop them in the situation, you are setting everybody up for failure. It was a ridiculous decision. Yeah, it was funny whenever I was around the post last year, whenever the Texans were interviewing coaches, and they were like, the Texans interviewed David Cole. It's like, should I even write this? Like, who cares? Nobody, <laughs> this guy's not getting the job. Nobody knows. I don't know who the hell this guy is. After watching you know, football uh, really in-depthly for the last you know seven years or whatever, and I had no idea who he was, and uh, that's him getting the job too. But yeah, I think it's kind of interesting. Like, um, and that was the question that at Confused Lefty Lefty asked: Is that the go one sixteen is their chance to fire him? And I think it's in the books, you know, and especially with how bad some of these decisions are. Um, and it's also like, do you think the Texans are doing anything to correct him to help him out with this? Because he keeps doing it over and over and over again, you know. I, I don't. I mean, who's going to correct them? Like, who's got the experience? Are they having a Powell, Tim Kelly, and Levy Smith and going, hey, you should do this differently? The fact, the mere fact that we punted on fourth and two, and not only that, the punt that was on fourth and nine earlier than that was even, was one of the highest on the surrender index in its history. It's how bad that punt was. So it, it's it's like he's a combination of the worst of inexperience and fear when it comes to being a head coach. Yeah, and it, it's weird because he's been around for as long as he's been too. So you think like you would just know how to do this, especially coaching at Baltimore, coaching at Kansas City, coaching at um, at Buffalo at places that you are or have been you know, notoriously like, aggressive on fourth down and making good decisions at those points too. I think the other thing that's weird, really kind of bizarre about David Coley is it doesn't really feel like he's the coach of this team though, you know? No. Like it's everything you see is Nick Casario. You know, Nick Casario, I think, is kind of the head coach in a way. And uh, my, I think my least favorite thing about this team, like aside from, well, even including the performance and including the optics and including Jack Eastby and everything else, is when they show Nick Casario warming up, like throwing footballs right. to the wide receivers and being on the practice fields. Like, that's not your job, you know? Like, I under, like I don't understand it at all. Like, this cosplay that this franchise performs to, you know, give this illusion that, or this, like, Casario wanting to be so involved with the daily activities and stuff be the guy who's like you know, in the bunker calling the coming up with the strategy for the future, you know, and he's so involved, I think the day to day stuff that he's like, he's like the head coach as well as you know, the general manager at the same time too. Player people have roles and the role that Nick Casario has is he, he's supposed to be the general for the Houston Texans. And he acts more like he's a light colonel than that. And what really frustrates frustrates me about that is there needs to be a certain separation between the general manager and the players because you're going to be the one that's responsible for cutting them. Mm-hmm. and you are building some sort of weird bond with these players by being on the field with them being in warm-ups and same thing for easterby easterby's on the sidelines after these, he, this is he has a very special job but we don't we're not going to get into what he does yeah yeah because nobody actually well we we know it's just not good um but casario's breaking things taboos norms that should not be happening and that frustrates me to no end and i don't think it's a good look for him i I don't think the players look to him and go oh look the gm's down here he must really care about us no the gm just wants attention 
Yeah, and it's like also, well, you have a practice squad quarterback or a practice squad's quarterback. Like, why not have him warm up with the wide receivers? You know, it's like a make a wish foundation sort of thing. Yeah, I, I don't understand all whatsoever. Um, but so defensively today, the Colts did score thirty four points. Wentz was eleven for twenty for two hundred twenty three yards. He averaged eleven point two yards an attempt and had passes for fifty two and fifty one yards and twenty eight yards. Um, even against against a team that plays a lot of two high shells. And Houston's covered two defense. They couldn't defend the peep, the deep pass. Both Terrence Brooks, who started over Lonnie Johnson Jr. today, which was absolutely hysterical, um, were crushed on deep passes in this game. And hypothetically, you know, this Texas defense is supposed to be good at stopping screens, crossing patterns, and deep pa- pattern and deep passes by playing cover two. Um, and in that game with this defense, and they've been playing less cover two in recent weeks. They've been playing you know some cover six and having a little bit of success. They've been playing more cover three. They played a little bit cover four on deeper pass situations last week against New England. They tried some man coverage to Desmond King outside quarterback, and that doesn't work at all whatsoever. But I think it was a lot more cover two this game against Indianapolis. And still, despite that, Houston gave up 31 points. Um, and Lovey Smith has made multiple personnel changes by benching Hargraves and then playing him again by benching Johnson Jr., by benching Eric Murray, then benching Johnson Jr., and playing Brooks by benching Charles Amenahu. He's done a bunch of different things. He's tried different coverage schemes, and none of it has worked. Uh, is this just an impossible situation for Levy Smith, or do you see any like clear fixes that he can do on his end to make this defense, you know, give up twenty four points instead of thirty four? Again, it goes back to what's what's really ultimately the difference between the sixtieth best best cornerback in the NFL to the hundred, like right. And so, do we have anybody who fits in between before the sixtieth best? I mean, I don't really think so. So it's, I, it's, I think Terrence Mitchell may be like the 50th best cornerback, maybe right. the 45th best, you know? Right. So not really a, a difference maker there, you know? So I, I don't think he's got the pieces to, of that puzzle to play with, you know, he, he's playing Grenard. So that was a big improvement. Um, and Grenard had a great day, great game today. But, I mean, what are you supposed to do? You can't play Tampa cover two with Zach Cunningham because he can't handle that. Nobody on the roster can play that position unless you want to put a safety, but we don't have enough safety talent to pull somebody from safety to play that linebacker and cover two on third down. That's why you have to mix it up. I mean, Lovey Smith, when he was in Tampa, all he did was just Tampa two because he could rely on on Derek Brooks to get back and play that center fielder mm-hmm. kind of position. You don't. There's none of that talent on the Texans. There's no Warren Sapp on the defensive line. There's no... Um, There's not even a Chris Hogan on this defensive yeah, line. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, you know, and you don't have you know any. You don't have John Lynch at safety. You don't have Simeon you know, Rise. Yeah, you don't have any. There's there's none of this. The thing about that Tampa two was is that they could play it because they could get the pressure up front. They could get the pressure with four guys. You could play the guys back, not give up the big play and be successful. And right? you could obliterate wide receivers over the middle of the field too. Yep. With, with Derek you could, Brooks, you could and crack John their Lynch. skulls open. It would yep. be a penalty. Yeah, well, that too. And now it's just different. Teams know. I mean, again, I, I keep going back to that was that Tampa two was what 2001, 2000, 2001, somewhere right in there. Yeah. When that was successful, how many people? How many of the players today in the game grew up playing Madden? Said this is how I'm going to exploit Tampa two defense i mean how many i would say it's a good chunk of, of them have played madden understand the weaknesses and have been able to exploit it for years 
And so that doesn't happen anymore. That's why Levy's got to change it. He doesn't have the personnel to run Tampa 2. Look, once again, we, we talked about David Colley. He was completely unqualified for the job. So was Levy Smith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just call it, you just run smash over and over again is how you kind of stop Tampa 2. But yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, I kind of talked about it earlier this year and joked around the, on like the, in the email we have. Like, I don't think anybody has given enough like merit to how insane of a decision was to make Lovey Smith the defensive coordinator. Because, like, week one, week two, all he did was run Tampa 2, you know? And he's changed things up, and it hasn't worked out. And, like, we're at the point now, too, where, like, Lovey Smith's base defense, they tell him, doesn't work. And so now, like, on the fly, he's having to try out different coverage schemes, and those aren't working also. But it is like an Uroboros of, you know, of just, like, just one turd eating itself, you know? Because they don't have the pass rush to play Tampa 2, but then the linebacker play to play Tampa 2. But they don't have the cornerback play to play man coverage. But they don't have the deep safety play to play cover three. But they don't have the pass rush to play cover three. And then also they have problems, you know, passing off routes to two deep safety, so they can't really play cover four. And they have cornerbacks who can't stay on top of the routes, so you can't play cover four really either. So it's like, what what do you do, you know? And so I don't really think there's an answer at all. I think the key for them, though, is to kind of do what they're doing, where they're rotating players in and out who are playing poorly, but really should just be like, well, we're just going to play the young guys, you know? And I don't think Lion Johnson Jr. is good. I don't think Charles Amena who's good. Um, you know, but that being said, just at least get the younger players out there instead of Woody Mer- Merciless's, you know, bloated bathtub corpse or uh, Jordan Jenkins, who, you know, has never been very good. Like Demarcus Walker's playing defensive tackle right now. Um, like don't play those guys. Play the younger guys right. instead and see if right. you have anything at all. And like really like sc- giving up thirty four points doesn't really matter. It's just like trying to find any sort of glimmers for something in the future. Right. I mean, I, I, looking at the stats before, you know, uh, uh, Gruget here, Hill had seven total tackles. He's their best today. linebacker. He's their best linebacker. He's been pretty good this year. Like, I, I, I've been very surprised by he, him being the best linebacker and being, like, good, you know? Yeah. And he's, you know, 27. So he's already starting to get really close to the wrong side of 30. And, which was also another problem with the whole offseason, signing guys who were who have already reached their peak. But is he a guy who's like he's the Zach Dials effect, right? He's a guy you have to play this, you have to play somebody at linebacker, and so he's going to put together this great season because you simply have to play linebacker. So is there a real talent there? Or nah. I think I mean I think right? he's fine. I think he's like he's smart though. Is the biggest he's thing. smart. Like he reads runs really well, and he shoots the gap, and he chases screen passes. Like athletically, I think he's he's pretty limited. Or he's not gonna be Fred Warner at all, but at least you can like he he carries out his tasks that he has to do in every play, and like he reads the game well, and and at least like he wants to play, you know. Like I think Kirksey's old and slow and bad, but like Zach Cunningham doesn't even want to play football anymore. Nah, and what? Well, well, I don't know. Kirksey kept up with uh, Jonathan Taylor pretty darn well today. I was I was thoroughly impressed by that. Well, that's a good thing about geometry, you know. Right. That's where, <laughs> that's where pursuit angles come and play, and you give yourself a short distance, and it works out like that. I don't know. He was down there. He was down the field with them. I was pretty impressed. Um, but, you know, is, is that what we have instead of like, is he actually a talented guy or is, is Gruget Hill, is he the 60th best, best linebacker? And I'm going to keep going to that because where, where is our talent level? What is it really? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, let's play Greenard. Let's play Lopez. Let's play these young guys. We know what we've got with guys like Gruget Hill and Kirksey. We know what we have. Let's do something different. That's why I so hated our offseason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like I guess, but I guess Grugier Hill is like a younger linebacker. You know what I mean? Like all the linebackers on this team are old, and so I guess he's worth playing. 
Um, Smooth Ramble asked, how many 30-plus blowouts does it take for Levy to get Cam before the season's in? And I can't see Levy Smith getting fired at all. You know? No. I really Not even in the a chance at all. Um, Again, who's going who, to... The, the biggest problem we're going to have is if you fire Cully, if you fire Levy Smith, who's going to take the job? Who's going to look at this roster and go, oh, me? That's why Levy Smith was hiring, was was coaching uh, college. Was was he Illinois? Like assist- He's yeah, Illinois. and they're they're like the 123th ring defense there. Yeah, I mean because they couldn't defend the RPO. Yeah, so like, who's going to take this position? Who's going to go and say, "Yes, I want this trash heap of a team, and I'm going to go coach them, and I'm going to look like trash." Nobody. Yeah, it's it's hard, and <laughs> it's and I think like really really the only things that matter for this entire season is pretty much like what do you get for Watson at the end of the year whenever you trade him. Well, that's really the only thing I think that matters for the future. And then maybe like you find a starter or two out of the trash heap. But um, as far as like building the next good Texans team, I don't think there's a whole lot here that matters for the season. And going back to Cunningham, you know, I think he looked listless and disinterested last week. Like he didn't want to play football last week. And this week he was on the bench when Indy was in the red zone. They scored another touchdown. Um, at the two-yard line, they went to a bare front and had Kirk, they had Kirksey and Grugier Hill at linebacker and didn't even have a third linebacker out there. And the Colts just ran off tackle and just walked in. And I spot like Cunningham would usually play at. Um, and this week he had three tackles, and that's it at all. Do you think this is going to end in a breakup after the season? Oh, yeah. I, I don't know how it doesn't. They're going to eat a lot of... I, oh, I can't remember how they restructured it, but... Um... I can look no. it up real fast if you want. It's like it's the problem is that they don't. It's not that they don't save money next year. It's that they limited how much they would have saved if they just paid him a cap hit of you know fifteen million dollars this year. But they right. didn't because they had to sign Danny Amendola and Rex Burkhead. Right. I mean, this whole it's funny talking about salary and the whole back and forth they had with Spencer, Spencer Tillman. He was talking about <laughs> no Nick Casario is great because of Ibida. It's like. Do you really think I care that a multi-billionaire like saved like literally couch money on a few contracts? Do you, you think I care about that? Does that make a guy a good general manager? And the answer is no. I mean, the, the equivalent I put it, it, it is basically the if I made a hundred thousand dollars a year, basically Nick Casario saved um, Fail Son about one hundred fifty bucks. Yeah, who cares? And like who also, cares? and Cal doesn't care about spending money. Like I guess it's like the the only good thing you can say about him is that he spends money, you know? But, like, he's somebody who needs to be, he needs to hire the right person to run the team, and that hasn't happened at all whatsoever um, because of Jack Eastry's, you know, prayer circle and all that. But Cunningham, his cap hit this year is $5.7 million. Um, next year, his cap hit's $14.7 million. And if Houston was to cut or trade him before June 1st, they would save $2 million in cap space. So they could cut him after June 1st and save more instead. Um, but who knows what they do with that? But yeah, I I don't know. Like I don't think anybody would trade for Cunningham though because of his salary cap. No, and I my my response to that entire thing you just said is just wanking motion. Like his base salary next year is ten million dollars, and so like, are you, is somebody gonna trade three a third round pick or a fourth round pick to take on ten million dollars of Zach Cunningham? No, no. Not at they're gonna all. wait until he's cut. Yeah, and like Cunningham, like I I've talked about it before, you know, with you and wrote about it. That you know, Bernard McKinney was the better linebacker than him because he did he did all the tough stuff to allow Zach Cunningham to have an easy job, and they decided to sign Zach Cunningham instead of DJ Reader because DJ Reader you know didn't listen to Bill O'Brien's post game speeches and he wasn't part of the culture there and that sort of thing. And Cunningham was never yep. a guy who made other players in the front seven better. He was never good in coverage. He was a good chase and tackle linebacker from uh, the weak side position. 
especially on outside zone plays. But those are kill shots given to him by the rest of the defense. And now he's paid to anchor down front seven. And now he can't even play on third downs at all, you know? Yep. Like they're paying him what, like, Indy's paying Darius Leonard to be, you know? What Fred Warner is in San Francisco. That's what they needed out Cunningham. And he's never done that in his career. No, I mean, he sure ain't going to earn it with us. I, I mean, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see if they cut him this year, maybe. But I don't think it's going to happen. I think they're just going to keep everybody here. But I'm expecting they'll cut him next year after June 1st, you know? After June 1st. Yeah, they're going to... And then we'll get to hear about how Nick Casario is a great GM because he <laughs> saved he saved Bale's son another hundred bucks. Yeah, it's insane. Um, so Jonathan Grenard had six tackles, two sacks, two tackles for a loss, three quarterback hits, and I've been kind of hammering this the past few weeks that the tech, he's their best edge defender, and he was playing twenty five percent of the snaps, and then fifty two percent of the snaps. It looks like he was playing the majority of the games today, but like Omane, who can't bend the edge edge at all, he's an interior pass rusher, and they haven't used him like that. Uh, you know, Merciless is a corpse. Jacob Martin's just a meme. He's not a good football player. The Marcus Walker Walkers haven't played defensive tackle because of you know the depth that they don't have at that position right now with Ross Blacklock being out. And then you have you know, Jordan Jenkins, who really doesn't exist at all. And so like Grenard, I think is far away, like the best edge defender. I think he had kind of like sort of a breakout game today. And so like sitting here trying to think about watching the video later this week, I think Grenard's the only thing I'm excited to watch for. Yeah. No, I totally agree. He he balled out today. He's got his limitations too, but at least he's doing something. He reminds me of like a young Whitney Merciless though, you know? Like he's undersized, but he has like some speed, but I think he has like a better ability to have an inside mood move, you know. Yeah, but he what's funny is is that he his like his um Oh my god, what's the term I'm looking for? Uh, athletic um Yeah, it's not very good. Measurement, yeah, it's it's like really terrible. Where Whitney Merciless like jumped out of the you know screen when you looked at his, mm-hmm. yeah, like the, uh, the analytics spark, part. Spark yeah, uh, he does have a good athletic profile, but just like the way he plays, I think he understands yeah. the game well. Like I, whenever he had that half spin to Marcus Ware sack in Florida, mm-hmm. um, I was like, yeah, this guy's I like this guy, you know. And so I think he's been, and it was insane that he never even played all last year too. And so now he's actually starting some playing time, and he's been able to contribute some this year. Yeah, no, he's he's fun to watch again. Let's just give me the young guys. Give me Lopez. Give me all these younger guys. Please, I'm begging you. Let's just stop wanking around with with these old dudes who ain't going to do anything. Jenkins, cut them. You know, <laughs> guys, cut them. And we should be signing. We should be signing young guys off the street. We should be, all the 23, 24 year olds sifting through practice squads right now. Yep, you know? yep. And we, we aren't. And that we aren't is a big massive failure. Yeah, yeah, and so like young, that's kind of one of the problems. Is they don't just have they don't have a lot of young players though. You know, they have Grenard, they have Roy Lopez, they have Johnson Jr., they have Ross Blacklock, and Blacklock's had some flashes you know this year too. Um, they have Omeno who has been like inactive and tweeting his disinterest as well. But that's they really only have four young defensive players on this team right now. Justin Reed. Justin, yeah, I guess Reed. I always think of him as older because it's year four for him. Um, and who knows what they're going to do with him after this year too. But like, what have you, do you feel better at all about the future of the Texans defense? I haven't even asked that laughing. After seeing what Blacklock and Lopez and Grenard and Omenehu and Reed have done this year and Johnson Jr. I, I still see um, Lopez. I can see Lopez developing into something. He's done some things. He's winning some battles down in the trenches. I kind of really enjoyed watching him. Grenard and Omenyehu, both to me are, are rotation guys, but that's not bad. You can utilize rotation guys, give them, you know, 50% of sa- uh, snaps. 
I, I don't outside of Justin Reed, I don't see anything. I don't I see Cunningham. No, I, I don't no. No. Yeah, I I think I think Renard could be a starting defensive end. I think Omenahu is a third down interior bull rusher. You know, he's always yeah. been bad against the run. He doesn't keep plays well. You know, teams just pull at him over and over again. Um, you know, same thing with Jacob Martin if we went through him in the conversation too. But yeah, and like Lopez has been fun to watch because he's good winning with his hands. But he's still like, I wouldn't say undersized, but he's not. He's he needs to get better learning how to take on double teams because he gets yeah. washed down double teams pretty easily. But like he at least can swim. He has like some craftiness to his game. And you know, playing that position and playing the one tech, you know, he just has to do a better job taking on double teams. If he does that, there's something there. But yeah, I think I think those two guys are pretty much it. You know, not considering Justin Reed at all. Yeah, and who knows what's gonna happen with Reed? Yeah, I don't you know. know. Are, they, are they gonna pay Reed? Yeah, are you gonna pay him? You know, four years, forty five million to like, be on a be on a be on a bomb fly uh, defense for the next few years. <sighs> Or they're like, hey, it's going to factor into our comp pick, so we'll get an extra third-round pick in 2023. Oh, my God. One that we'll spend on the next, you know, Lonnie Johnson, right? <laughs> well, Johnson's a second-round pick, though. I know, but it's still my, I'm, my yeah. point stance. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of the – well, no, it could be a Nico Collins, you know? Well, so here's the thing is, though, is if you have Reed, you at least have a center fielder. I mean, we need to, I we need to stop, you know, jerking his position around. Put him in center field, let him do what he does best, and let's go with it. Yeah, I completely agree. And, like, the Texans' defense in 2019, they were awful against the short pass, but they had great deep pass defense, and that's because Justin Reed was, you know, a really good center fielder. And I think they should leave him out there, but they keep trying to put Lonnie Johnson in that position so they could get Reed closer to the ball and make plays on it. But... They can't really play two high safety shells because they have a, a safety that they can play Jason Tim that's any good. Yeah. He had that yeah. he had one of those monster hits today, like he had similar to Cleveland. Yeah, uh, where he Zach killed Pascal Zach Pascal. Yeah. Oh. And Pascal's big too. Oh, he he murdered late. And it was a clean mm-hmm. shot, man. That was the exact way. If you're gonna hit a guy in the NFL and make him hurt, that's how you do it. Yeah, it was it was really similar to that hit that he put on uh I don't know if it, I can't remember if it was Higgins in that Cleveland game that forced the fumble. It was like the exact same play though. Too high, post route, yep. comes down, crushes them. This one was incompletion instead of a fumble. But I, I think like you know, the last thing I'll say about the defense today, this is what happens when they don't force turnovers. You know? They force zero turnovers today, they gave up thirty four points. If the Texans don't force turnovers, they can't stop they can't stop teams often enough to hold teams to twenty four points. That Jacksonville game, three turnovers. Cleveland, the first half, two turnovers. Mayfield had one incompletion that game, you know? Yeah, and the other thing is, doesn't Justin Reed have four of the six turnovers? I think, yeah, I think at least three, because Johnson Jr. has two interceptions. He, he, Reed has interception and a first Hargraves fumble, has four out of seven. And Hargraves has an interception. So, but yeah, they, I, and they last week in the first half, they had two, they had two interceptions, or they had two fumbles. They had the, the oh, Terrence well, Mitchell right. punch out, and then the Johnson right. Jr. interception last week, you know? I think I'm a game late. I haven't calculated for the Patriots game. My bad. Yeah, but last week, two turnovers in the first half, and they hold them to 14 points. Mm-hmm. And then they have the fake, fake pun, and then, you know, they kicked up in the sarcophagus, and everything happened from there, too. <laughs> um, I confused lefty ass. In a, in a rebuild season next year, how many players did you keep on the roster? And I think we've kind of gone, gone over that. There's not a lot here. Um, it's a lot of get rid of the veterans, try to find young guys, and doing what they should have done this past year, next year, you know. And that was, I think, kind of the funny thing on the consensus on Twitter. It's like, this needs to be an expansion team next year. 
we gotta get rid of everybody. They should have done that a year ago, you know? Yeah. And this season's been a complete waste of everybody's life and time because what they're going to do next year, they should have done this year. We signed a bunch of guys at Gruget Hill. Look, look, he might be playing well. Gruget Hill, Kirksey, Mitchell, um, uh, Eric, uh, God, I'm blanking on his last name. Like, a lot of these guys should have been cut. We should have been just every DFA or UDFA, we should have been signing anybody with speed. Oh, look at that physical profile sign you and instead we just signed a bunch of dudes who are 27 28 years old and then we signed rex burkhead and danny amandala we've had seven <laughs> 16 or 17 skill position guys on the roster right now none of them are good did you see amandala with the cutoff hoodie on the sideline today yes it made me oh, so made me mad he, he was doing the bill belichick it made me sick. just just wanking motion again it's just you know we we have to get away from the mindset that the Patriots way is the way to go. And we're not doing that. We still keep just the mere fact that we have Burkhead and Amandola on the roster. Tells me we don't have a clue as to what this team is doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I, I think it's just funny though. Like that's what they should have done. Last. And really like what you're saying, they shouldn't have signed any of those guys. They should have cut Johnson, trade Tunsil, <laughs> cut Cunningham, uh, cut Woody Merciless, you know, create cap space or eat the cap hit this year for next year, you know, and then sign, try to do things like sign Cameron Curl and younger players, and uh, they didn't do that. Also, here we are watching a bad team that's only bad, but it's old too. Um, the next question is from at Smooth Grandma, and he asked, "Have we forgotten how to throw to tight ends? Is Brevin Jordan already a bust?" No, because you have to give snaps to all Claire, right? He's you been an all right blocker he's... though. I think it's just kind of like the way their offense is built. But I think right. that's why Brevin Jordan hasn't played yet, is because he's a bad blocker. But Jordan Akins is one of the worst blockers I've ever watched. And he, they're yeah. still trying to get him to block on screen passes and be a blocker. And they they ran that stupid pool play yeah. a few weeks ago where it's like he's the lead blocker. He's bad. He's an awful blocker. He's 30 years old. And he had that hole today. Yeah, on the screen against Kenny Moore. So it's it's not that he's a bust yet. It's just they're, they're not giving him a chance because it's a really stupid team. Yeah, I just think his... It's just problems with, with blocking, probably, you know? And he has really short arms, and I think that has something to do with it, too. Well, and it's the fact that we have 17 skill positions going on the roster. It's, that's, that's absurd. That's just stupid. Yeah, I think the guy to play instead, because all clear is a good blocker, um, is to play Jordan over Jordan Akins, you know? Yeah. That'd be the move to make, because Akins hasn't... They're just using him as, like, a decoy in the past game. Where he, dri- he drives up field and he sits and he gets in the way to open up crossing routes and stuff. Is Aikens really thirty now? Jeez, because we drafted him when he was like twenty-seven. Yeah, because yeah. he played baseball for a while or whatever. Um. So the next question is from at Uprooted Texan. What was the funniest part of the game? Not best, not worst, just funniest. So I've got two answers to this one. So my ha ha funniest. Um. Was I really enjoyed watching Michael Pittman blocking? <laughs> I really got a big kick out of that. There was one play. It was just it was in the third quarter, fourth quarter. I can't remember which play it was. It was just a a run by Jonathan Taylor, and then here comes Michael Pittman out of nowhere, pushing the pile and getting uh, Taylor about two or three more yards. It was great watching a wide receiver acting like an offensive lineman pushing the pile. I so thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that. My uh, I'll uh, I'll watch for it whenever I watch the video on Tuesday, and if if I see enough, I'll put together a clip montage for you. Oh my gosh, he was so good in the uh, as a run blocker today. It was just so enjoyable. Um, 
the other one that the dead clown funny was watching uh Lonnie Johnson get burned. Yeah, and it's just I mean like so like that the cover two thing that we were talking about that touchdown, you're playing Tampa two and they're running a seam route and a corner. And so what you have to do or what you have to do is the linebacker has to take the seam and then the safety has to take the corner. That's what you have to do. And Johnson Jr. stood in between both routes, didn't cover either one of them, gave the touchdown, and yelled at Desmond King afterwards. Yeah. It's like, that's your route. Like, if the, <laughs> if the seam's a touchdown, that's on Christian Kirksey. That's not on you. But that's your route right there. You know? He is so bad. Yeah, he's never been good. And he's a real DJ Swearinger Storm player, too. Oh, totally. Every time he does anything, you hear it, uh-huh. and he makes dumb mistakes, and you never see the end of it, you know? So um, what about you, Big Matt? T.Y. Hilton. It's a synchronicity. You know, oh, I yeah. spent last summer learning a lot about Jungian psychology, and synchronicity is one of his things where, you know, you think something's a-causal, but some things are more than a coincidence. And T.Y. Hilton, coming back off injury reserve, week six, just to play the Houston Texans and have a catch for 51 yards, have four catches for 80 yards. It's just too perfect. It's more than a coincidence, you know. It's synchronicity. And him coming back this game, of course, having the game he had was just absolutely beautiful. And if he wouldn't have gotten hurt on that last catch, he would have easily gotten that first down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm sure we'll see him again a couple or at the end of the year, too. And oh. that, that uh, lends itself to at Texans Doc. Uh, he's been on the show before. Do you get any joy watching T.Y. eat the Texans alive like it's his job? I swear I've transitioned from fury to indifference, now kind of chuckling. I think that's the only thing you can do. I mean, it's just, it's the healthy thing to do at this point. I mean, it's what's going to happen. You might as well ro- roll with that punch. I've enjoyed it every time, and I I went like full heel on it that playoff game when he wore the clown mask. Oh, and God. he had like 175 receiving yards. Like he rocks, you know. And and just like and to do that and then back it up like he did, absolutely an absolute legend. It's like back in the day when the Texans would draft specifically to stop the Colts and whatever the Colts were doing. It's like we tried to do that early on when T.Y. Hilton was finally there. They're just like, nah, screw it. We can't match up with this guy. Let's just give up altogether. <laughs> and he's been there forever, too, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I love T.Y. because he's like a very – there's not like a lot of like 6-1 receivers that play like how he plays. And he's one of the rare, like, smaller speed guys who actually panned out. You know, for every T.Y. Hilton, there's 25 Philip Dorsets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's just different. And I, I think, you know, we're going to look back on his career line against us is going to be, like, you know, Hall of Fame material if he would have played against us every game. Oh, it is. I had a, I would, I would, like, had a writing total every single time they play against each other. And I didn't get a chance to write six things this week, but I would have, I don't know about that, but the good thing is that we're going to see him again. We can do it then, too. And our last question in tonight from Matt Smith Grandma, is this team obviously tanking or just so bad that you can't tell if they're legitimately that bad? Uh, there's, I think they're stealth tanking, is, is my take. You don't hire David Culley. You don't hire Lovey Smith if you're actually legitimately trying to compete in the NFL. I mean, you just don't hire these guys. They should have been nowhere on our radar. We did. You don't go out and sign a bunch of 27, 28-year-old dudes. You don't have 17 skill position players on your roster. It's all stealth thinking to me. It's not like you have Albert Hainsworth or Brooks Reed lying down in the middle of the field type stuff. But it's all like this underground, like we're just going to keep undermining our team so that we suck kind of thing. 
Yeah, I, I, every time I hear the Albert Hainsworth's name, I get sick. Uh, I'm waiting for Zach Cunningham to pull the Brooks Reed, though. Oh, yeah. It's going to happen. He's going to get pancaked, and he's just going to lay there. <laughs> he's just done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I guess I would be, too, after last year, you know. But there was some hope, you know, him playing Will Linebacker again, that he'd go back to his old ways. Um, I mean, I don't really think they were actively trying to, th- trying to tank. I don't. I also don't understand too. Like even if Watson decided he was going to be the quarterback this year and wanted to play here, if they thought this was how they were going to build a good team around Watson too, and that's the other thing because like uh, maybe they talked themselves into it. They're like, well, once they meet David Coley, once they meet Casario, once they oh, yeah. see what we're building here, that he's going to be here. And but even then, these are bad decisions if you thought that. So I don't really. I don't think they were trying to tank. I think they were trying to be good, but I think they wanted to get the bat out and get new veteran players in to build to, that fit their culture and what they wanted first. And that was kind of why they, they made the decisions they made. But I thought they would at least be pretty good with that, you know. And uh, and really, the biggest you know thing that worked out against him was Tyrod Taylor getting hurt. But like as we've talked about a few times already tonight, he's 32 years old. He's old. You know, he's injury prone. You have to have a backup plan. They didn't at all whatsoever. Yeah, and I, I get what you're saying that, you know, everybody would just buy into the David Culley experience and the Lovey Smith defense and history and so, that sort of thing. But I, I didn't see those as being realistic. And yeah, again, I, I, the problem is, is it's like the entire thing is just like if we clap hard enough and loudly enough, everything's going to be OK. And that's what the Jack Easter B. Nick Casario experience seems to be is just clap louder and everything will be great. And that's not how stuff works. I I want Jack Easterby to have an acoustic guitar on the sideline for a game and just be strumming like, come on guys, we got it. You can do it. You're the best. I just, I don't, his, his entire role to me is he's Rasputin. Yeah. Um, so that's our show for tonight. Are you excited for JJ Watt and DeAndre Hopkins getting a taste of the Houston Texans next weekend? I am going to so thoroughly enjoy that game. I think people have been really, uh, Texans fans have been kind of like down on what Watt's been doing this year. He's been really good. He's been, he was fine the first part. He's been tearing, uh, I didn't get to watch the end of the uh, game today, but man, last two games, he has been tearing stuff up. It just makes me mad that he's an interior rusher. Again, after like Uh, screaming about it for all these years, like they don't have one. He needs to play in that role. And now he's nervous. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And like, he's getting, he gets close on tackles for a loss, but he's not quite there. But I'm thinking about writing a, a Watt film room for this week. Yeah, that would be fun. That would be a fun go because he's he hasn't sucked, no matter what people on Twitter have been saying. Yeah, he's not getting stats, but he is disruptive and wow. Yeah, and I think Hopkins, you know, he hasn't had like an enormous game just yet. I haven't seen his total box score today. I know he had like 21 fantasy points, whatever that means in PPR league. But I'm ready for like the DeAndre Hopkins 200 yards receiving against you know, Desmond King game today, next week. <laughs> That's just cruel. That's just cruel. Um, yeah. Oh my God. They won 37, 14 Arizona just rocked today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's been good seeing cliff limitations last year as a play caller and seeing how he learned from his mistakes. This off season is actually run like a balanced attack. Um, that is a lot more than Kyler Murray scrambles, ill time runs and out routes to Deandre Hopkins. Yeah. And like, Watt had a, Sa- I'm sorry, Sack and PD today. Sorry. Good for him. I'm glad. 
So that's our show for tonight. Next week, we'll or later on this week, we'll have the Week 7 NFL preview. Um, next Sunday, I believe Steph Strallis can go on the show so we can talk about the the expected massacre, Massacario in Arizona, which I like on accident. But until next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Bow Red Radio, and thank you for being on tonight, BFD. Hey, uh, just one more thing. Case Keenum actually played tonight for, for Cleveland. Oh, really? What do you do? One for three for six yards. I wonder what's going on there. Yeah. Oh Maybe boy. it's just because the game was over and that sort of thing. I didn't even think he was still in the league. Yeah, he benches <laughs> at Baker. Well, also, he played for Stefanowski whenever he that's led the true. NFL in passing DVOA that year. That, that's right, in Minnesota. Yep. Yeah, he, he, flew to the, he flew close to the sun one year, which is very happy for him. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. I had a, had a blast. Yeah, we'll do it again but, soon. We'll have uh, you, me, and Dyer, Chris can do one soon. We'll we'll do it. You know, there's how many more games we got? There's 17 now. Uh, this is six. We got 11 more. Wow. wow that seems that seems Sisyphean. Yeah, week one seems so long ago. <laughs> uh, well, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thanks, Big Matt. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com.